When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you. And on behalf of uh, Brian Rarity and uh, Louis Herman Watt down there in Christchurch, and of course, Brant, your local John Deere equipment supplier, we'd like to get you uh, fully entertained for the next uh, three hours with uh, a good mixture of content today. First up, talking to Michaela Foster from the Football Ferns training squad for the World Cup, not too far away now. Uh, just after 9.30, we'll be talking a little bit of racing because it's been a special announcement for one Sam Burgesson. Uh, already uh, an assistant trainer with Tiakau. He's had the big promotion. Yep, DC and Mark Walker have tapped him on the shoulder and said, boy, uh, we think you're good enough to go the whole hog. So uh, he's going to be a full training partner. And uh, Sam's pretty excited about that. We'll catch up with him uh, just after 9.30. Joe House, interesting interview this. Um, Louis Herman Watt uh, talked to him uh, late yesterday afternoon, uh, pre-recorded uh, an interview concerning the NBA playoffs and the PGA Championship. Joe is a character. Uh, the panel this morning uh, will be Ben Strang and Daniel McCarty. Uh, looking forward to that. A uh, number of issues to talk to. Uh, we've also, uh, after 11 o'clock, uh, we put the, the hex, I think, on uh, the America's Cup, saying everything was going quite smoothly. But mind you, out of sight, out of mind, isn't it? It's, out of, it's away from us. We can't see all this going on. All of a sudden, it hit the fan yesterday, didn't it? So uh, Tom Ehrman, uh, who is the Sailing Illustrated uh, editor, uh, good magazine, really cool magazine, that... Uh, with his thoughts on how this is going to play out. Uh, and the Rural Roundup preview with Andy Thompson, as usual, being Wednesday. Um, I'll also talk to staff just before midday on the content of his show as well. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, for the sake of International Rugby League and its global credibility, New Zealand and Australia had better get their heads together, not butting, and take over ownership of the Rugby League World Cup 2025 and the sooner the better, it simply has to be. I mean, the guts of the tournament is here anyway, the fan base quite clearly so, the stadia are the best, the coverage unrivaled, two of the likely winners playing host, the Island Nations, well for them, it's a home event as well, the mouth waters at the possibility of their fan engagement. It'll be eight years since the last event down here and in a small market that's easily long enough. There's a hunger quite clearly for the kangaroos and the kiwis to be on show more often. And I assume, from a player's point of view, it's still quite a thing to don your national jersey. A two-third, one-third split of the games, Aussie and New Zealand, a semi-final at Eden Park and a grand final at Homebush, 80,000 plus in attendance. That would be the largest World Cup crowd ever for the final. The best being 74,468 at Old Trafford in Manchester back 10 years ago. The Kiwis and the Aussies able to ticky-tour across the Tasman quite readily to watch the games they choose. Two years to plan it? Easy. Find a window, book the flights, book the hotels, book the grounds. Book the refs, neutral ones, uh, gosh even Todd Smith, he should be back from relegation by then. Order the beer, the pies, the hot dogs, 
blow the whistle and let's play ball. Look, just gets Peter Volandis on the job. He's the godfather. He makes everything happen. God, he'd have made everything happen during the Great Plague. The game's on an amazing high. Right at home. Right it all away to November the 30th. Homebush, 2025. Sounds like a date to me. Aussies, Kiwis, 7.30 kickoff Aussie time. Some pommy ref in charge. No need for a bunker. They belong on the golf course anyway. Now, how easy is that? How easy is that? Honestly, for the sake of International Rugby League, and it's worth, just do it. And there's another sponsor for you, Nike. Get on board. Well, with the FIFA Women's World Cup rapidly approaching, not too far away at all, the country should be prepared for an injection of footballing passion we heard yesterday from Mike Gray, Managing Director of Go Media, and I think he's probably right. The scale of FIFA's operation will dawn on us when it arrives and proper. In the meantime, the Ford football ferns have the big task of getting to the bottom of what has created an untimely form slump, I think it's fair to, day, fair to say, with a varying level of of experience currently in camp and some senior players not due until the end of the month. Coach Jitka Klimklover will be thinking long and hard about the best mix to give New Zealand football the home success we'll be desperately hoping for. The door's been open for young talent this year and with Michaela Foster's rapid rise from club to country over the past year, it's a great example of the edge they're trying to find. From uh, our National League to the Wellington Women's uh, Phoenix team, a standout now too for uh, them. And uh, for Cap Football Firm, it's certainly been a journey. And Michaela joins us on the line this morning. Michaela, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully we'll get Michaela. I had all that intro time perfectly and we're still waiting for Michaela to answer the phone. Louis, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Morning Smithy, morning Smithy, just uh, you know how these things are, demons in the phones lines every once in a while, just as you nailed that intro as well, and I think you're right, the uh, scale of the whole operation will dawn on us when it arrives in the FIFA Women's World Cup, but uh, until then, the football fans have a bit of work to do, don't they? They do have a lot of work to do, and that I was uh, going to touch on with Michaela when we get hold of her, uh, just the extent of what they are doing at the moment. Um, exciting uh, rise to fame for uh, Michaela, it certainly has, and uh, she's got some uh, strengths uh, and power, particularly uh, with off both feet, that uh, they can capitalise on. So uh, this is a young lady who not that long ago wouldn't even have considered playing in it, probably considered buying tickets to watch it. Uh, a year ago and now she's right in the frame so hopefully we can get through to Michaela as soon as possible Brian trying very hard looking forward to the interview too with Sam Burgesson this morning uh, in about half an hour's time yeah, wow. That's a, it was a bit of hectic news yesterday afternoon. Well, it wasn't hectic, was it? It was actually... I just caught me not off guard, but I was stoked, actually, when I saw it because Sam is a, he's a great guy. He's a very talented horseman. And um, I just, yeah, was surprised a little bit to see Mark Walker. He's only been back a year and straight away into partnership, and he's in the midst of a 180-win season with more to come. So it's pretty exciting for Sam, and it's pretty exciting for the whole Tiako operation. It is. We'll find out more about that, actually. But it, it, it's uh, interesting to see because there, there has been thoughts that they might expand to Melbourne. Um, and so I guess they're, they're starting to look at uh, and the growth path uh, through because, um, you know, um, as Reese Trumper, they've got a very young racing manager as well. Uh, so they're, they're really, uh, with an eye to the future, Tiakau have moved uh, quite well there. 
Uh, looking forward to uh, hearing your interview as well just uh, after 10 o'clock. Uh, that should be uh, very interesting. Incidentally, we can tell you um, right here and now that the um, Inter Milan uh, beat Ace uh, Inter Milan beat uh, AC Milan one 0 this morning. So the, uh, their aggregate was three 0 They'll go through to face either Real Madrid or Manchester City in the Champions League final. Uh, still not having a, a lot of luck uh, with Michaela at this point. So. Uh, we shall um, just uh, wing it, as you have to do, in uh, broadcasting from uh, time to time. Uh, yeah, the NBA playoffs today. Uh, Jokic against LeBron. Not really Jokic against Le- LeBron, because more of the matchup will be Jokic. Uh, Jokic against um, Anthony Davis, the other two bigs uh, up front. Uh, LeBron will just do his thing. They won't be able to shut him down. It's a question of just how uh, good a form he will be in. So... Gosh, uh, Michaela, it's, uh, it's almost easier to get hold of your dad. Interesting. <laughs> uh, yes, it is the, the, the magic of live radio. But you're right, the Jokic-Davis matchup is extremely important for the NBA, uh, for, the, for that matchup in the Western Conference Finals. And we talked to Joe House about that after uh, 10 o'clock this morning. And then the Heat-Celtics matchup of the finals, all of the, bu- the bubble finals. So all of those conference finals repeated. So people can stop saying that they are right off anyway. Right, let's, uh, we'll talk to you then, uh, Louis, if we can today. Uh, of course, Cambridge Synthetic, and there's 10 races. Uh, 11.25 is the first. Um, and uh, pretty healthy fields too, I've got to say. Yeah, big fields actually. Um, big fields, healthy fields, and the synthetics racing tomorrow at uh, Rickerton as well. So this time of year, they are extremely important um, to kind of keep the the horses' fitnesses t- fitness ticking over. Um, and without the synthetic, we'd be a little bit lost at the moment because these tracks are getting harder and harder to harder and harder to race on week in week out. And we saw that last week with those really bottomless tracks at Whanganui. So we can chat a bit about that in loveracing.nz coming up in the next hour as well, Smithy. Okay, I think we'll go for a break and then we'll try uh, keep trying in earnest to get hold of uh, Michaela Foster um, and uh, we really would love to talk to her and get inside this Football Ferns camp because it's, uh, by my estimation, 63 days. 63 days, I think, uh, until they play their first game against Norway. That's not long. Uh, when are they going to pick the final squad? 9.13. A heck of a story. Your last six months in football, we've been following your mm. progress can you quite believe uh, that you're in the World Cup training squad uh, after well, six months ago? <laughs> oh, not really. It is a bit of a pinch me moment. I think I'm, I'm having every every other day. It feels like it's like you said. It's been a bit of a crazy six months, and yeah, just just enjoying every day that I get in this environment so far. Right, uh, you debuted at uh, FMG Stadium uh, for the Football Ferns, which was uh, home for you, really. I, I just wondered um, how often you'd been there in the past, and when you'd been there, did you, did you ever think that would be your debut spot, playing football for New Zealand? Uh, not at all. Like, I've I've grown up there, to be honest. It's kind of felt like a second home, and um, obviously supporting supporting Dad while he was coaching the, the Chiefs was kind of my first memories of that stadium, and sitting in the stands kind of watching watching rugby every other weekend was, was my favourite thing to do, to be honest. So, um, yeah, to get to put on the, the Fern jersey at home felt incredible, and I know not many players get to do that. So, especially in this squad, so it was, it was extremely special for me and my family too. What got you into football initially, Michaela? Um, 
oh, to be fair, I probably shouldn't say this, but I, I loved rugby. Obviously, loved rugby growing up, and didn't play it a whole lot. But that was that was the f- first ball I learned to kick was an oval ball. But um, I had some friends down the street actually who kind of needed an extra player when I was, I think I was seven or eight, and kind of just jumped in and and loved it and parents just supported whatever I wanted to do and I got into a lot of different sports and I think it's the way to go but yeah just stuck with football I think the people around me were were awesome and just love the community that it has. Well obviously you showed a lot of potential throughout those secondary schools and because you were picked up and went to what the University of San Diego tell us a wee bit about that experience. Yeah yeah that was that's kind of what I guess young girls finishing high school maybe look to do and for me I saw some of my friends doing that and it looked like an awesome experience and I had an ex-coach from um, New Zealand under 17 who went to UCLA as a coach and she had a contact in San Diego and kind of helped me get there and that was incredible just um, I, I looked to go to college to kind of become a better football player and um, I achieved that I think and that school pushed me and uh, San Diego wasn't a bad place to live. It's sunny all year round. So, um, yeah, I absolutely loved that and came back a better, better footballer too, which was the main goal. Right. Uh, let's uh, look at um, the, the Phoenix side of things. I mean, you went um, from uh, basically amateur football in the National League as such to the Phoenix. How did you find that experience? It was it's pretty tough result-wise, but what about your personal mm-hmm. development there? Yeah, yeah, like you said, it's not the the greatest season that we we planned to have, but um, definitely finished stronger, which was our which was our goal. But yeah, individually, it just it it boosted me as a player and kind of showed that people in the our domestic league certain players can play in that A league too. And um, yeah, for me, I had the support around me. The coaches Nat and Cullum were were huge huge key to my success I think pushing me and um, just giving me that opportunity to start with was um, which I'm obviously extremely grateful because it's it's kind of boosted me into the position that I am now and um, vying for a a world cup squad um, spot but yeah the the phoenix was was a challenge obviously results wise but to be able to step out there um, and put that jersey on every single game of that season was was amazing and and to do it at home too and in Wellington was pretty cool to to have that that supporters in the crowd there was amazing feeling. So, Michaela, uh, one of your great strengths, and I've, I've watched you play on a number of occasions, uh, it seems to be your power. Um, you know, you, how did you develop the, your ability to kick so strongly and, and the great the distances and the power that you've got with, with both feet? Yeah, um, I know my dad will try to claim this, um, <laughs> definitely, but uh, I probably have to give him a little bit of credit with that just just growing up like I said I kicked a rugby ball and um we'd have drop kicking competition so it was just kind of getting that technique technique down and um he kind of taught me where to generate the power from but obviously over time had to translate that to football and I was just lucky enough to kind of just use both feet and yeah I'm, I'm not sure kind of how it exactly it came because I know it takes a lot of work but um yeah, I'm pretty fortunate to to have both feet naturally kind of come to me, which is which is very helpful. <laughs> and one of your strengths uh, within the group, and and what people are talking about too, is your ability at set piece time. Is is that something that's been a big focus for you initiating those? Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely has. And um, my American career kind of was taking them and through age group stuff as well. So um, it's something that I've always had to had to work on to to kind of execute because it's not the easiest thing to get to get right every time but um and I've still got a long way to go with them but it is something that I 
try to pride myself on and try to stand out with. I had a quick count up this morning on the calendar. I reckon it's about 62, 63 days until uh, the World Cup starts. So uh, mm. basically nine weeks uh, against yeah. Norway. I mean, you're not in the final squad as yet, though. But what are the, what are the uh, what's the feeling in the group now? I mean, you're still far from complete. There's still players to come back. So what is what is happening within the group at the moment? Yeah, like you said, a lot of the players are still um, overseas playing, um, which is which is good for us here who are just training. So it's been a kind of small squad the last two weeks and we've had some more numbers added to it this week with people slowly coming back. Um, it's actually it's a really good vibe in the camp at the moment and it's a long camp. It's, I think, eight to nine weeks in total, but not many teams ever get an opportunity to be together building up to such a big event, especially in your in your home country. So, yeah, we're really excited to kind of put in the work now um, and especially when those players start to return from overseas to to kind of be at a place that we know we're really pushing each other so that they can come back and continue to push us and we can push them. So it's it's competitive, but everyone's – we have a lot of fun on and off the pitch too, which I think is the main thing in, in this environment. So what is the setup at the moment uh, within the group that's there and, and what is the um, estimated date of announcement that, that you're hearing? Yeah, we, we haven't really been told too much about um, announcements. We're kind of just focusing. So, yeah, can't can't give you that one, sorry. But I think it'll probably be start of June, uh, end of June, sorry, start of July, closer to the World Cup, obviously. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of a eight, nine weeks camp that most of us, especially the ones involved in A-League, um, are here since basically the beginning and we're up in Auckland just kind of um, training every day and, yeah, putting in that work and meetings and that sort of thing. So it's been it's a really exciting environment to be involved in. How have you found uh, Jitka Klimkova's um, way of uh, doing things? I mean, you, you've had uh, two or three coaches in a very short space of time. So what uh, what's Jitka's uh, approach? Yeah, obviously for me, I'm new to the team and um, she's the only coach I've experienced on, in this national setup. But um, she's enthusiastic and um, is really passionate and uh, we all buy into what she's what she's doing and what we want to do as a team and um, you can see that she's really bought into it which obviously helps as a as players and we want to go out there and and play the way we want to play and um, she really pushes that which is exciting okay so uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on you of course uh, uh, there'll be a lot of fun and a lot of enjoyment it'll be a great occasion you know assuming yeah. that uh, down the line you do make the squad but having said that there will be a lot of pressure and some of the pressure um, Michaela has obviously come from the results so far uh, they haven't been as good as uh, we would like and you would like of course and finding the back of the net has been a, a real issue now as a set piece specialist that's one area you can particularly target how busy have you been in that regard yeah, yeah, a lot. Like we, we always want to score goals, and um, like everyone knows, we go out there to score goals, and um, yeah, it just kind of hasn't been coming off lately. But yeah, as a set piece, obviously that's a key part of the game, and um, especially with some of the players that we have who can get on the end of set pieces, it's it's really exciting to see what we can kind of come up with and what we can do with that. Um, yeah, so I think we'll, we'll continue to work on that, and personally, I will continue to fine point those kind of attributes that I bring to the team but um, yeah we've done obviously a lot of trainings on shooting and kind of finishing and um, but what we saw in the last two games we played was that we were creating those chances and we were getting into the box in the final third so now we just got to put it in the back of the net. 
I don't think New Zealanders uh, still quite understand how big this event's going to be, Michaela, but you know full well because you've had four years uh, in America as such and uh, the, the US women's team, probably one of the most high-profile sporting teams uh, in the United States. Uh, give us some idea of how, how big you think this is going to be. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be huge for for obviously not only the football community but everyone everyone out there I don't like you said I don't think they, they realize what it's going to do for us and um, you can already see the impact that this tournament and FIFA is having on communities and community clubs especially like it's cool to see obviously back home in Hamilton some of the local clubs getting um, that support to get new lights and their field redone and that club rooms all painted and refreshed and that sort of thing so just those those little things are, are huge for for the community and the football community and um, I worked at Hamilton Gills High School last year and to see kind of those younger students getting involved and in some of the legacy events that are happening is is really exciting and yeah I know a lot of the regions are, are putting in a lot of work to kind of get the new get the word out there and to come and support us um it's, it's uh, yeah I, I probably don't even know how big it'll be to be fair but um i'm excited yeah. for it either way so. okay, uh, who are the uh assistant have you got assistant coaches along with yitka at the moment helping you in the in this regard yeah yep so we have um kerry sava who's um joined us last week and then uh, michael main and then nat lawrence is kind of involved too but um yes we have those two assistant coaches which is which is really exciting right okay uh, and just finally uh, before we let you go um just say um and we fingers crossed you get included in the squad and you take part in this world cup uh, do you get to go to france for the old man's world cup yeah, yeah. I've me and my mum have planned a trip, so I'm uh, I'll be heading over for the first two games, which is which is exciting uh, to see that opening game against France, which will basically be like a final, won't it? So um, no, obviously really excited to just head over there and and support him and hopefully watch some good rugby. So yeah, can't wait for it. Yeah, we can't wait that for that. But prior to that, uh, we can't wait for the football ferns and the women's World Cup. Michaela, great catching up with you. I uh, love your positive attitude. I've uh, been really impressed with the way uh, you've uh, developed in the last six or seven months, mm-hmm. uh, and it's been on telly, so we've all been able to see it. So, hey, fantastic, uh, and uh, all the very best with team selection and what's coming up, eh? Awesome. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, Michaela Foster. Uh, Beautiful, um, <coughs> the prospect. Beautiful prospect of of um, of uh, doing that, Louis. You, you you come to a situation where you know six months ago you're you're playing, all of a sudden you're playing uh, just national league football. When I say just national league football, it's an amateur status, obviously. You get um, you get picked out by the Phoenix and say uh, this young lady's got something, uh, and then you see the power. I mean, her overlapping skills too down that left flank that I've been watching. Ability to get the ball into uh, the penalty area and and with power, um, I think. She's, well, I don't know. I can't influence the selectors, but I I, I kind of think uh, that's an asset we'd need. Ah, oh, I can totally see your line of thought. Just really impressed with a, a lot of composure. Almost sounds like a coach's daughter, doesn't she? She's got a lot of composure. Mm. Was nice and confident and. I thought that was really neat hearing about how, you know, where you generate that power from. As you know, Smithy, like it's clearly different, a football with a rugby ball, but the same kind of dynamics and kicking techniques. I I thought that was a really nice anecdote there and not shying away from being the coach's daughter as well. Um, Yeah, I I think, and you're right, the rapid ascent, oh, incredible, from club university to club football to Wellington Phoenix football and into the football ferns, and I can tell that they really appreciate her in the camp as well. 
Why would you shy away from your, your father's achievements as well? I think it's one of the great parts of the story. It's uh, 9.32 here on SENZ. When I come back with another um, sibling, uh, we won't say sibling, a pro, uh, prodigy, prodigy, another prodigy, this time uh, in the uh, horse racing industry. So we're going to be talking, how did you describe it to me uh, last night, Louis? We're going to be in the first hour. We are going to be talking to, and you summed it up beautifully, um, what does Sam Burgesson and Michaela Foster have in common? Both are following in the footsteps of their successful fathers in similar industries and both confirmed to be uh, appearing in the first hour tomorrow. Brilliant. Let's... Morning, Smitty. Thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem. Sam, what great news, eh? Had, um, did you expect this this soon? Yeah, well, probably, probably not looking back over the last sort of few years. It's sort of come around um, really fast, um, you know, it's obviously massively exciting and and a huge challenge. And yeah, I'm really really looking forward to the upcoming upcoming season. It is uh, an interesting thing because uh, Sam, it's not as if you hedged everything in your early life on being a, a horse trainer because, uh, of course, you son of uh, of Royden, uh, grandson of uh, of Herb, of, of course. So racing was in your blood as such, but you actually went to varsity and decided to to get a background what in accounting. Yeah, yeah. So funny. Yeah, I sort of obviously grew up with the horses, um, being from a family family background with them. Um, but it's funny enough, Dad sort of tried to steer me clear of the horses. He, um, I was actually quite good in school. I had pretty pretty good grades, and I didn't mind my footy as well. So they both my parents sort of encouraged me to go to varsity. Um, and I was really good at accounting at school, so I sort of went down that path. I got a cadetship, so I worked sort of thirty hours a week as an accountant and and studied as well. Um, so just studied probably part-time and try to keep keep up to date with it during summer school and things like that. So it sort of took me four and a half years, um, four and a half years for a full degree. And then I got to the end of it and I sort of knew in my heart it wasn't really, really for me. So I decided to go traveling um, and ended up in Ireland um, playing footy. And sort of that came to the end. And just through family, friends, I, I got back into the horses um, and ended up working for Aidan O'Brien um, Belly Doyle over there in Ireland. So, and um, once I was back into it, I just you know it reinvigorated me a bit, and I I just loved absolutely loved it. Um, and look, if my visa hadn't run out, I actually probably could still could have still been in Ireland. I actually, I loved it there, and the people were great, and it was a, it was a great experience, and and working with some fantastic horses. Is it easy, Sam, to compare Bally Doyle to Tiarco? I mean, as, a, as an operation, the Bally Doyle ultra successfully. O'Brien's a seriously long history of being successful in racing. Uh, and then, of course, you come back to uh, now our most successful stable. Yeah, sort of. In terms of the training methods, it's a, it's a lot different. They train the horses sort of different there um, in Europe. Um, so Valley Doyle was all sort of private property and they had their own amazing training tracks sort of all a lot of uphill gallops and things like that but in terms of the systems um, and, get, and getting the people in and things like that it, it is very similar um, you know in, in, t- in terms of instilling a work ethic in the staff as well I think um, you know you are working for the, for the top stables and, and, you, and you do work really hard but it is really reward, rewarding Sam, Louis here, pal. Great uh, great to have you on, and congratulations. I think this is such good news. We, we love young people kind of prospering in this industry. We need more of it. You've worked under some great tutors, as you just mentioned there. What was the benefits of working really closely with Jamie and now Mark for the last year? Have you picked up different bits and different methods of how those two operators do things with the same operation? 
Yeah, sort of, um, like they've sort of come through the similar system, sort of, um, obviously Mark was, came through with Dave and, and sort of sort of founded it, kicked it all off for Tiakau, um, and then and Jamie sort of came through that system. So they sort of trained similar, but sort of had different little quirks and different personalities and, diff- and a sort of a few different little things that they like to do with horses. Um, but ultimately similar, it was just sort of more more um, their personalities, um, how, sort of how they deal with staff, things like that were slight slight variances, but ultimately, you know, they, they're both great trainers in their own right. Um, and, and look, I'm, I was extremely lucky to work under both of them and they've been so great, great to me and look, I'll never be able to repay them for the things they've taught me and, and, and the opportunities they've given me. Can we look at the operation now, Sam, as uh, you see it? Uh, is you scale down a bit during winter? Yeah, yeah, sort of. Um, well, actually, a couple the good horses have gone for a spell, but there's actually a few sort of filtering in back now before it gets sort of too wet and too cold. So, so Imperators and Campionation and horses like that, um, they're sort of just, just arriving back in the stable. So we've, we have had a, a bit of a quiet period, but we're sort of ramping things up again now. Do you know every horse in the stable? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I do, I do my best. Yeah, how do you know sure. that? How do you, how do you get how do you get to know them? You know, um, as they come through. I mean, because I've, I would think that's one of the hardest damn things to do is to know the, their idiosyncrasies, their 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 likes, their dislikes. At the end of the day, they're animals, and they you know they're not anywhere near the same. So, how do you get to know all of those things? Yeah, sort of. Jamie and Mark have really instilled that you you, you do have to have your finger on the pulse with it. You know, um, you sort of got to give your life to to the job. Um, in a sense, in that you, you do you do need to know these things. So look, we have we, we like I said before, we sort of have the systems in place that we can sort of determine you know what these horses um, their idiosyncrasies and and their habits and sort of you pick up little quirks and we we have a trot up every Monday where we trot up every horse um, in front of Mark and I and and we sort of monitor how they're doing how 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 they look in the coat um, sort of how they're responding to the work things like that um, and. And, and just, yeah, different systems. We've got a big um, master schedule that we sort of look at every day and it's sort of got plans for the horses, um, where they're at, how long they've been in work, things like that. So, yeah, we, we, we keep a good, a good track of it. I can uh, I can absolutely back Sam up on that, Smithy, because I had a slow horse, a little tiny share and a slow horse, and uh, we were, the the updates we were getting, it was like it was a fast horse. Seriously, so they treat them all the same, <laughs> and it was pretty incredible how, how well Mark knew that horse, um, even though it was going through a bad form period. Sam, is there something that we won't realise as punters about what, going from an assistant trainer to a training partnership looks like? Is there a slight difference or variance in your roles that you, what you are about to be doing in the next season that we probably aren't aware of? Uh, yeah, it's probably probably um, more to do with um, sort of making a... Sort of Mark sort of made... He um, sort of refers to me and Reese a bit about sort of plans for the horses, but it's probably sort of stepping up a bit in that sense and, and sort of firming up plans and making more suggestions to Mark and things like that, just sort of more hands-on with Mark and, and a lot to do with owners as well, sort of taking the pressure off him a bit there and updates and things like that, sort of um, sort of get, getting in front of the camera and things like that as well, sort of showing face and, um, yeah, being, being a more prominent role, I guess. It's a really important decision, this, uh, and, I, and Louis touched on it before, because 
uh, you know, the, the racing industry has to have a future. Um, and the likes of yourself and Reese and, and, you know, other young trainers around the country, do, do you sense uh, when you travel that um, there is um, a move for younger people to get heavily involved in, in the industry? Oh, for sure. And I think the industry is sort of focusing on making a big effort in, ret in retaining our young our um, younger generation. Um, obviously, it's sort of hard to um, keep people here um, in New Zealand when Australia is so uh, lucrative. It's, you know, the industry is just absolutely thriving. And we've probably gone through a tough patch. Um, but, the, you know, the New Zealand industry has got a lot of positives to look forward to. Um, hopefully, once Ellerslie gets up and going and, and this new partnership um, with Entain and things like that, you know, there is a lot to look forward to um, coming up, hopefully, if we can get it all going. So, yeah, the industry has, has made a massive um, push for us to sort of stay here, and I think there is a lot to look forward to. Um, and sort of Dad's always sort of said to me, you know, us old, he's always said, us, 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 us old fellas, we can't do it forever, so we do need some young young people coming through. Yeah, I think it's great, actually. As, um, I've seen David Ellis socially, um, and he's pretty mean when it comes to the social side of life. What about as a as a, a director over the top of you? Is he is he, is he a fair man, David Ellis? Yeah, yeah, he is. To be fair, he's very fair. Um, and and fair play to Dave. Like from day one, whenever I met him, he said, "Look, mate, if you ever need anything, I'm I'm just a phone call away." And he's and he's always been like that. He'd do anything for the staff. And he, and he, and he is he is one that's always sort of supported the younger generation and hasn't been afraid to um have have a go on probably someone that's maybe a bit less experienced but um yeah I, I i can't thank him enough for the opportunity no it's true sam I, again i just like to echo that because personally and and i know lots of other younger uh, people our age that are coming through in different variations of roles in the industry and he is always very supportive and you know he might cop a little bit of flack here and there from certain corners but i think um those that have got to know him know that he really does care about what comes next after him which is not what you can say about everybody that gets to that scale, Smithy. No, it's not. And Sam, um, you know how you talk to the radio uh, all the time, and uh, as a train from a training point of view, and they they always ask you to to tip one out because uh, the races are today in your backyard. Well, this show's no different. So here we go. Uh, have you got anything lining up today or at the weekend that uh, a couple of uh, battlers on Struggle Street like Louie and I could get could get hold of? Oh, um, well, we'll go today because it's races today. Um, there's actually one that's at a bit longer odds. It trod, we haven't actually had a runner on the um, synthetic in a while, but it trod really well on there, and I think that's the big key. If the, if the, course, if the horse can cost, cop the synthetic, it normally, normally goes well, and we know she's trod well on it. So French Rose, um, she's, I think she's paying 7 or $8, so could be one worth a dollar each way. I'll take that. I'll take that, uh, Sam, any day of the week. A uh, $7 one-up will do me. Hey, uh, just uh, reiterating, congratulations. Great news for you. Great news for the industry. Great news for Tiakau. Uh, enjoy what's coming up. Thanks for your time, mate. Awesome. Thanks Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, cheers, uh, Sam Burgess in there. Well, it's, that is a, a plum job and a plum stable, but... It comes, Louis, with uh, the utmost of responsibility because there are some big owning partnerships in there with some seriously valuable horse flesh. It's 9.46 here on SENZ. 4pm on SENZ. If it's happening in New Zealand sport, you'll hear about it on SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. There's a new team in town.
brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. All right, yesterday uh, we were close, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Inter did beat Milan this morning, uh, 1-0. Casparu uh, did uh, beat uh, Lazio Gia, and uh, that got up. But the Mumbai Indians uh, were unable to post a target big enough to stop the Lucknow Supergiants. So uh, that one went down. Uh, but it's uh, unfortunate today. Nuggets to beat the Lakers at $1.40. Firm favourites to win game one. Uh, tomorrow morning, Manchester City draw with Real Madrid after 90 minutes, and then they'll go on, I think, to win on penalties, but uh, or an extra time. But Manchester City to draw with Real Madrid, that's at $4.20. Uh, uh, Man City are quite warm favourites there. Uh, and the Mets to beat uh, the Tampa Bay uh, later today at $1.57. So uh, Denver Nuggets into Man City and into the New York Mets. Uh, that multi's up at a very handy $9.23. Uh, she'll be talking uh, a little bit more with Louis uh, just before uh, 11 o'clock this morning in terms of uh, the Cambridge uh, Synthetics. We've had uh, the bully from Sam Burgesson uh, around about a $7 shot, so uh, we'll look forward to that as well. Um, and uh, we've got a very busy next hour coming up, well, with, uh, starting off with an interview with a bloke called Joe House, who uh, is a pretty interesting dude, no doubt about that. It is 9.53 coming up here on SENZ parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Every time I hear that clip with uh, Grant Nisbet and Justin Marshall calling that try, I think to myself, God, I'm going to miss Justin Marshall at this World Cup. I really do. No one, Louis, gets the flavour of a game in that position that he operates better than him. He lives it. Absolutely lives it. I couldn't agree more, Smithy. Uh, it's actually something I haven't spoken about yet. Not, not <laughs> withholding comment. I just uh, I wasn't on the air when that kind of all came out, and I was just watching the footy with someone on the weekend. They said, was that true that Justin Marshall wasn't going to the World Cup? I said, yeah, apparently. But I, as he was delicately kind of um, calling the Blues Crusaders game, uh, you know, Intricately explaining it as a steaming pile, but also saying this is amazing. <laughs> you know, like I actually think he's nuanced, but people people will absolutely line me up for that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if it's true though, I will miss him. I, I really will. It, 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 just no one like him in the modern uh, era of commentators that gets the feel of the game and goes up and down with the feel of the game as well as informing. I know he's had his critics over the years, but man, he is mm. superb in that role of giving you the flavour. Um, I, 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 there's none better in the country and I just do not understand that decision there'll be a reason why um, but I don't see it, I really don't uh, Look, we've had a couple of uh, good messages for Sam actually too as a small share owner, my partner and I congratulate Sam and are excited for the upcoming season go uh, team uh, to Arcole and that is from Phil and Kevin says uh, congrats to Sam, well deserved he speaks well, just comes across as a great bloke they'd be promoted in a stable like Tiarco is an achievement in itself. Uh, that's from Kev. Uh, so thanks for those uh, messages. We've got some others to talk about this morning as well. 
and uh, also we're uh, going to focus in on the NBA um, after the break and the PGA Championship with a gentleman by the name of Joe House out of America. Uh, talking to Louie yesterday afternoon. We'll hear that very shortly. It's 10 o'clock. 9pm on SCNZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Joining us on SCNZ, I believe this is a repeat performance. He's a returning uh, gentleman to our airwaves here in New Zealand, and it's so good to be able to welcome in the man, the myth, the legend. He is Joe House. You hear him on the Ringer Network, of course, with his main man, Bill Simmons, his own podcast, Fairway Rolling, with Nathan Hubbard, and, of course, the Ringer Gambling Show. House from D.C. Joe House, how are you? Louie, I'm fantastic. I want to pass along some regards. I was just on the phone moments ago with the pot father himself, Bill Simmons. He wanted me to tell everybody in New Zealand how much he, he loves New Zealand. And, and uh, he, he's honestly a little hurt he didn't get the invite. He, he wanted to know why I got the invite and he didn't. Yeah, it's interesting, interesting, because I remember a few years ago, him and Brasillo uh, uh, slandered Stephen Adams' contract, and they heard about it. It actually made network network news over here, so nothing the Podfather does, um, doesn't go under the radar down under, if you know what I mean. I understand completely, and, and, and uh, Stephen Adams has made them eat those words a little bit, maybe. Yes. Convenient, isn't it? Um, no, loving it. Loving all the work you guys do on, on the Ringer House. But it's this is like your wheelhouse. We've got the NBA playoffs a day off so we can talk to you about the Final Four. The bubble didn't mean anything. And then, obviously, the PGA Championship. But I want to start with the hoops. Um, over in your side of the world, the Eastern Conference, the Celtics managed to squeeze one out against the Sixers, and Jason Tatum well, became a demigod. And then the Miami Heat, are you calling them the zombie Heat as well? I mean, how are they still walking? Yeah, it's an amazing story with the Heat, and I have been mad at the Heat for, for a long time because, you know, with the combination of, of talent and, and coaching for the Heat, I expected them to finish at least middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference and give, you know, uh, the, the top three teams some, some trouble. Well, it turned out as an eight seed, they're perfectly capable of uh, giving everybody a hard time from that spot. And what they did to the Milwaukee Bucks was just uh, an enormous reminder of how different NBA playoff basketball is from the regular season, and especially if you have um, a, a stable coaching situation and and you know a coach that's been around nba playoffs for a long time in the form of eric spolstra and a player that lives for the prime time spotlight in jimmy buckets jimmy butler himself man that was such a performance against the bucks and then they validated that with another very impressive performance against the knicks so yeah they are the zombie heat they cannot be counted out. This is the third Eastern Conference Finals in four years for the Heat. All credit to Eric Spolstra and, and Heat culture because it's real, Louis. It is a real thing. So I'm so curious about Boston sports mentality because 
Yeah, they might have had lean years, but in the scheme of things, they are a, a city, a region that has been inundated with championships across all of their major sports throughout the years, but somehow they always come across so anxious and paranoid. Will they be anxious and paranoid about the zombie heat? They absolutely will be anxious and paranoid about the heat. And, look, you have to remember that the success they've experienced, it's, it's a fairly recent vintage now. It has spanned what feels like 15 to 20 years now between the combination of Tom Brady with the Patriots, the Celtics, you know, um, jumping back up into the the mix. They had the the finals repeat performance in 2009 and 2010, um, and then they were in the finals again just last year. But there were many, many decades, uh, at least on the Red Sox side. And you have to remember that Boston is originally a baseball city, they lived that, that the, the baseball uh, trauma for, for so long. When they finally beat the Yankees, that kind of unleashed a, 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 a civic re- relief, I would say. But, you know, they, they, they haven't really gotten that used to the, to the winning, even though they had Tom Brady for, for six Super Bowl rings. How big, and put it in perspective for us the best you can, House, how big would a Celtics-Lakers finals be? And we don't have to speculate what might happen to get there, but would that really capture the imagination of the American sports fan? It absolutely would. And, and it, you know, it, it's cross-generational um, because, you know, you, you can, it, it traces through the history of the NBA from Kareem to Kobe to uh, LeBron in this iteration of the Lakers, and then with the Celtics, it's 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 Larry Bird, it's uh, Paul Pierce, and now with Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown. I mean, we're talking about forty years on either side of those franchises, and so you know there are lots and lots of sports fans on on either coast that have been raised rooting against the Lakers. If you are you know a, a Western Conference team. We're rooting against the Celtics if you're in the Eastern Conference. And there's lots of examples over the years of those two franchises, you know, um, putting it to your own team. So, yeah, it would absolutely capture the, the American sporting public imagination because you're talking about Hall of Famers across the board from both um, franchises and, and banners waving in rafters, in, in numerous uh, banners waving in rafters in those two uh, stadiums. I guess the only issue is there's a seven foot whatever Serbian, I think he is, man, standing in the way. Uh, Nikola Jokic, this guy and the Nuggets, they've got to be prohibited favourites to win it all from here, don't they? House, I haven't seen the books in America, but I mean, the way that they just ate up Devin Booker and kind of broke his spirit against the Phoenix Suns in the last um, round there. I just, I don't really know how any team's going to stop the momentum the Nuggets have. They have two advantages. You just mentioned the first. That's Nikolai Jokic. He is a one of a kind. He is absolutely the best offensive player in the NBA. I mean, folks can quibble if they want. If you want to try to make a case for Giannis, by all means, go ahead. But I, th- there is a legit argument to be made that Jokic deserves his third straight MVP. Uh, and his unique talent is to elevate his teammates. It's on the assist side. They're not empty assists. 
his, his team and what he's able to do in terms of, of ball movement and seeing opportunities for his teammates. A lot of folks have likened him in terms of his court vision to Larry Bird. I don't think that that's really that big of a stretch. Uh, Denver, the most efficient offense in the NBA in the playoffs, averaging nearly 119 points per 100 possessions. Uh, and, you know, they've been – orderly and systematic in how they have dismantled Minnesota. And then Phoenix, they have also the advantage of home court. And in Denver, that is meaningful because the, uh, the difference, the altitude of Denver and the thin air there. Now, you know, the, 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 they've always had a home court advantage. They went 34-7 and seven at home this regular season, um, which is, you know, sort of, Typical when they're when they when they have good teams, they take care of home court. Um, but in the playoffs, when they're when it's you know, there's only one night off in between, and you're already catching a 38 year old James. Um, they just went through you know a, a, a seven game series, a six game series, and on the back of another lengthy series. And you know Anthony Davis with the mileage that he had to put on to help the Lakers make the playoffs in the first place. Uh, there is there is a rest advantage for Denver. There's a youth advantage for Denver, and Denver to me has the more complete team. But uh, Jokic is a one of one, the straw that stirs the drink, and it's going to be a really fascinating matchup because if there's any big man in the NBA that that could present a challenge, it's Anthony Davis. But I I really think this Nuggets team it it, it could be their year, Louis. Oh, it's exciting. They just play such amazing basketball. I, look, I've got to ask because I know how, we know how patriotic and we, we do think it's a little bit uh, crazy down here in New Zealand. We're a young nation. We know how much history there is in America. Do you think it frustrates American basketball fans a little bit having these big European players and then even, you know, your Luka Doncic's of the world coming in and being high usage and in Jokic's case, back-to-back MVPs, uh, Joel Embiid, obviously an international and African player from Cameroon as well. Do the American basketball fans get frustrated or do you love it? Do you embrace it? Um, it's a fascinating question, and I think you'll get um, a little bit different answer depending on um, who you ask and, and the demographic. You know, uh, I'm old enough to have enjoyed basketball throughout the, the you know you know five decades, and the rise of the game in the international space has been tremendous from my perspective because a lot of the international players have arrived in the NBA with a kind of um, uh, foundation and a, a fundamental game that's different from the way a lot of kids in the U.S. are, are raised. The culture of, of basketball in the U.S. over the past 20 years or so has lost some of those um, fundamentals and it's also i think just good for the game in in general to have the world appeal the world support um you know yao ming and 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 the importance of of his contribution to to making basketball super popular in china and in asia in general i i think it's just very very good for the league and for me i love it i mean i i think it's 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 tremendous I don't, you know, it's, it's a fun conversation to say who do you think is the best American basketball player um, mm. at, at the moment, and and you know I don't, it's it's tough to walk to to argue against uh, 
Jason Tatum after the 51-point game he had in Game 7 uh, over the weekend. Um, but, you know, Steph Curry's been, been pretty good for a pretty long time. It's a fun conversation to have. But I absolutely adore um, the worldwide footprint that the NBA enjoys now because it really helps the game. It's good for the game. It's, it's fun brand of basketball. It's sound basketball. And it's fun to watch from my perspective. Well, honestly, uh, Joe, like down here in Australia and in New Zealand, you would have seen the NBL and Lamello coming through. Um, we've got a couple of French kids that are going to be declaring for the draft. Basketball's the big, fastest growing sport globally. I truly believe that. And we've got rugby and cricket and traditional sports down here, but especially those physical sports. And I'm sure you see this with American football, the contact side of things and the concussion and the CDE. Basketball is trending upwards. It has been for a long time. And I do think the world's positions is going to get stronger and stronger. And the you've got a sport like golf which globally with the live tour is just accelerating and i have to ask as we segue have you ever had the pleasure of playing oak hill uh house because i know you do get around to some of these how should we put them um more elite venues i i i'm not afraid louis to extend myself an invite anywhere uh i, I have not found the right person to to ask myself you know into a game up there <laughs> at Oak Hill. and you know have to the, the the weather is 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 a challenge when you when you're talking about northern new york um you really have a window that kind of starts now and maybe goes into i guess the end of september early october and then the, the weather kind of changes you have to be a hearty soul to be able to play um uh, up there so i haven't played it and I'm glad that you asked because as the PGA Championship, you know, uh, arrives this week, the star of the show is really truly going to be that golf course. And what everybody is already talking about and will continue to be talking about is the renovation and restoration of that golf course to the vision that Donald Ross had, you know, uh, over 100 years ago for what that property should consist of and the challenge um, that it should pose. And the, the, the single biggest thing that will be different from other times that people might have seen Oak Hill over the last 20 years or so, that, that the report is that thousands of trees have been removed as part of the renovation and restoration by the architect Andrew Green, recreating some visual vistas that um, ha- haven't been seen in, in decades and, you know, creating an opportunity for the club to grow the rough and to, to create narrow fairways um, that are going to pose a real challenge. It is a big boy golf course. It's a golf course that has hosted U.S. Opens before. I honestly think that it's going to play like a U.S. Open this week because of the combination of um, the wet weather that they've had up there in New York. So they've had the ability to grow the rough, and then it's going to be cool temperatures. So I don't think you're going to see – Many guys going under par over over the course of the four rounds. Oh, it sets up beautifully. You know, the guys that are going to be big off the tee, if they can um, get an advantage that way, they'll use it. And there's a man who's paying 200 to 1 down here. And he is a big boy. He's got a big chest. He's got big arms. His dad was a famous all-black first five. His name's Ryan Fox. He's a new dad for the second time, so he's got that dad power. And just in your... You know, when you when you're looking wide and just trying to spec a couple of odds, house just don't don't overlook Ryan Fox. That's one from us. I, I just wrote, I just added him to my list. Now, Ryan Fox at different times has um, 
played well enough and 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 you know made some cuts here in the in the U.S. in in big events. Um, so I, I'm adding them to my list immediately, Louis. Good. Who else? Who else checks the boxes? Who else is going to be long off the tee and and will have the um the right mentality to handle the pressure cooker, which is New York sports fans. Yeah. So the conversation that we've been having there, there you start with Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm and you know, you, you try and come up with the reason why either one of them might not win because they both have the skill sets uh, complete enough to, to win at this venue. And really in, in any major for the foreseeable future, the combination of power and touch that both of them possess, you have to try and find a weakness to talk yourself into a reason to, to not select them to win. They have really separated themselves from the rest of, of the golfing world. If you wanted to make a case against Scheffler, his putter has not been very good. He had the most putts of anybody that made the cut at Augusta, which is kind of a, a stunning thing. He hit the most greens in regulation and had the most putts. So, you know, which, which version of that um, will show up? And then with, with Rom. The only thing that you can sort of come up with is the weight of history. Only six players in the history of the game have um, won the Masters and then, you know, the second tournament of the year. Now it's the PGA Championship. Uh, <clears throat> previously, it, it was uh, the, the U.S. Open. But winning the first two majors of the year is an extraordinarily difficult thing. And so that would be the only knock uh, you can come up with. With with Rom, um, the odds for those two guys are not very good. You're not going to get you know a great return on them. And frankly, we're interested in trying to dabble in some guys where you might get a little bit better return on investment. Um, some names that are showing up, uh, and you know it's tough to get an, your arms around how the the live guys are going to perform. But their performance at the Masters in the form of of what Phil Mickelson did. And what Brooks Koepka did and what Patrick Reed did, three guys in the, in the top ten, uh, extraordinarily Im- impressive. A guy I have my eye on, Louis, is Cam Smith, who finally looks like his game is rounding into form. A 61 yesterday or, or early over the weekend in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the indication is that some, some touch around the greens is going to be required at Oak Hill because you're not going to be hitting a ton of greens in, in regulation. The, the uh, anticipated uh, number of greens in regulation is around 50%, which means you have to be able to, to get up and down and save par from off the green. And we've seen Cam Smith do that with extraordinary uh, skill in, in winning the, the Open Championship. So um, he's a little bit further down the board because folks don't know how to properly handicap the, the, the live players. Um, and, and I'm sure that that's uh, exciting for folks in the Australia and New Zealand region of the world, right? Well, it is, because if you ever come across Cam Smith, you'll come across his man, New Zealander, on the bag, Sam Pinfold. And if you do, tell him that we sent you and you will have a very good time. House, you will have a very, <laughs> a very good time. It is so fun to chat to you once a year or however often we do it. I'm very grateful for your time. And um, we look, love all your thoughts on the NBA and the PGA Championship. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun over the next couple of weeks. I can't wait. And, Louie, anytime you call, I answer. I'm here for you anytime you need me, bud. <laughs>
<laughs> You're the man house. There you go. Joe House. House from DC. Ringer Podcast Network is the absolute best. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Ben Strang and Daniel McCarty are with us this morning and uh, it's been a rough 36 hours for Wellingtonians and uh, still finding out, finding out the extent of that fire down there. Ben, uh, how are the community holding up down there? Um, yeah, I mean, it came as a massive shock, obviously, to wake up to yesterday. Um, people are very saddened by by the reports coming out of it. Um at least six dead and, and some others missing, which is um, tragic. Uh, I think it's, for some people, it's turned to anger as well. Um, you know, so many questions about how this sort of thing happens in, in Wellington, how it happens in, in New Zealand in general. Um, you know, why the building didn't have sprinklers, why there weren't better protections in place for a building with 92 apartments, you know, like it just doesn't seem to make any sense. Uh, and also, you know, anger about the fire service and not their performance as such. The firefighters are were heroic. But how the hell in New Zealand do we send our firefighters to these life-threatening jobs without the equipment they need? It's come out since the fire that uh, Wellington's supposed to have two trucks with ladders on it for this situation. One of them's broken down at the moment, so they only had one truck with a ladder there. Um, last year when the other truck broke down, um, they were at a job and... The, the ladder froze. The fire and emergency said, you know, not to worry. Um, it, it's not going to be a big problem. Plus, uh, they tried to re- reassure people by saying the ladders are never really used for, for saving people. They're just a tool to help fight fires. Well, yesterday, five people were pulled off the roof using that ladder. Um, it, you know, in a, in a week when, sorry to rant about this, but in a week when we've had a, uh, you know, a, a rugby player um, die, uh, you know, quite a shock to people, and you see the notes after each article saying, um, you know, giving mental health charities and that sort of thing that you can approach. You, you've got a fair idea of how it happened. These firefighters are the ones who attend some of those terrible calls, and then we're sending them to these sorts of events with with a lack of support, with with the not not having the equipment that they should have. I just, I think people in general are infuriated about it. I I can't understand how this is allowed to happen. And hopefully this will spark some some massive changes to both building laws, but but how we're treating the fire service. We need to fund them properly. Okay, very interesting, Ben. I had uh, you filled me in on some information there. I had absolutely no idea about um, Daniel. Um, obviously, hometown for you as well. Um, not too good. Uh, just up from the the basin reserve. Yeah, indeed. Just down the road, Smithy. Good morning to you and to everyone and to and to Ben. Um, I lived a street over from that place. I, I'm, I was a Newtown boy for many, many years. I uh, absolutely love and adore that part and just uh, completely uh, overwhelmed by uh, the, the pure horror of the scenario. And all those border questions Ben has very, very aptly raised uh, do need to be uh, considered long and hard. But um, I, I, I'm, I'm just shocked and stunned and just cannot comprehend um, what the families and extended friend networks are actually going through for those have lost their life right okay um 
we've got uh, that side of it out of the way. We'll do some sport very shortly. We've got to take a news break. When we come back, um, there is a suggestion that uh, Richie Moonga is the greatest super rugby player of all time. Of all time, Daniel McCarty. I'll give you about two minutes to mull over that one. We'll be back soon. 1476 AM in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. It's second versus third tomorrow night. Catch live NRL commentary when the Broncos go up against the Panthers from 9pm on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. 10.33, Ben Strang, Dan McCarty uh, with us this morning. A couple of devout Wellingtonians. So, uh, I've given you a couple of minutes, uh, McCarty, to, to sort through this. There is a suggestion when you look at the uh, Crusaders' record and Moonga being the pivot um, that uh, he's the greatest super rugby of all time. Um, one pundit, Sam Givens, thinks so. How, how say you? Uh, and this is nothing against Sam. He's, uh, he's been asked to throw out his hot take. I think it's under the list, hot takes. Um, uh, but I'm a little bit confused to say Mwanga, the greatest super rugby player of all time. In the same sentence, or the next sentence, he says, not the best rugby player to play super rugby. That title belongs to Richie McCaw, as if that's uh, a, a, matter of, <laughs> a matter of fact as well. But the key sentence I think he's getting to, he's been the most important player on the best team in rugby history. Boy, oh boy, uh, we, we could just open up the lines for and actually ask which Crusader sides were the best in rugby history. Uh, what about the three-peat side of 98, 99, 2000 and won four and five years? Uh, this is really hard to determine. Uh, what, what, what does the greatest mean? Um, the most important player? Uh, well, without Sam Whitelock, does Richie Mwanga win all those titles? I, I find this, this really difficult. But I, I think there is a bias, Smithy, towards first five eight. Um, when we do lists like this, I, I think if you ask uh, people to come up with the greatest, you know, Super Rugby players of all times, uh, all time, I, I think first five eights would uh, be disproportionately um, featuring in that list. Whether it's you know Carlos Spencer and his three titles, Heck, Andrew Murden's what I think won five titles before he swanned off into the night. Carter won three. Mornay Stain won three. They'll all get sort of a um, get their votes. It's a really complicated one. I, I find it quite a vexed one to get my own head around. If you're to push me on it, I'll probably go, based on my eye test, I'll still say Dan Carter. I, I think I, I'm still a Dan Carter fan, but Richie Mwanga in modern times, absolutely sensational and, and would certainly be in the compensation, no doubt. Okay, uh, Ben String, I've got to give you a chance to throw a Wellingtonian in the mix. Oh, well, by way. and large, I... By and, large, by and large, I very much agree with what Daniel said. I think that's um, he's sort of hit the nail on the head. I mean, if you if you're talking a Hurricanes player and and uh, my my Wellington slash Carpety Coast bias, I, I'm I'm heading straight to Christian <laughs> Cullen. Um, Christian Cullen was incredible in the in the late '90s, early 2000s. Um, you know, one of the most talented players you'll ever see. So, I mean, that that's one of the names that I came up with. I I, I also think just sort of possibly a little bit underrated, is Brody Retallick, if, if you're wanting to look at one of the current players. Um, Brody Retallick for a very long time. I remember talking to um, people who work for the All Blacks, and they have their own little rating system for players. And so some players will, will average, let's say, a 7 out of 10 over the season. One week they'll be a 4, the next they'll be a 10. There's just a little bit of inconsistency. Brody Retallick would average sort of an 8 out of 10 level, and he'd do it every single game. Um, that sort of consistency, I think, is probably... Um, the sort of thing that makes me think Brody Retallick's another great great name to have there. But I agree, Dan Carter, 
uh, it's hard to go past him as the greatest player that's played Super Rugby. Okay, right. Uh, let's uh, talk uh, on rugby again. Um, interesting for T- Tawira Kerpalo now playing as uh, rugby for La Rochelle, very su- successfully too. He's uh, one of the top-ranked uh, halfbacks uh, on that side of the globe. Uh, there was some talk of him uh, being considered to be a Wallaby. Is there any consideration for um, him to be an All Black, or are we well enough stocked in that area, Ben? Uh, I, no, he's not going to be an All Black again. Uh, I, I also doubt that he's going to be a Wallaby again. I think he himself has said with the change in coaching over there that it's very unlikely, but um, as well as he might be playing in Europe, we're pretty well stocked, it appears, with, with halfbacks who are playing really well in Super Rugby. Uh, it's it's a bit of a logjam in some respects. So, uh, no, I don't think that makes any sense. He was, a, he was a good servant when he was in New Zealand, but he is not the kind of player that I think New Zealand Rugby would break their own rules to, to bring into the squad. Uh, in fact, I don't see any player at this point, if they were to head overseas, that they would break those rules for. Bowden Barrett, Richie Moanga, whoever it might be, I don't think that they're going to start selecting them if they're playing overseas. Tawara Kubalo, definitely not going to play. Uh, you feel the same, Daniel, or do you think there's uh, scope for him? Uh, not in a black jersey. There's always scope, I, I think, down the Australian path. Oddly enough, uh, if you look at the Australian setup, they're quite well stocked at scrum half, so that's probably gone against them. This is actually nothing new. He, his original dialogue with Australian rugby uh, started with Dave Rennie, when Dave Rennie was in charge. Uh, but more recently, as Ben has intimated, it doesn't look like he's in the thinking of the new head coach, Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones invited seven players, uh, Smithy, from overseas for a training camp recently, including someone from La Rochelle. It just wasn't Tawera Kerbalo. That was uh, the hulking lock, you might remember, Will Skelton. So if there's an injury to a McDermott, a Gordon, or a White, or, or one of the, 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 the scrum halves, certainly he'll be considered, I, I would think. But it, it does look like an outside chance of that. Uh, only in Canary Yellow, though. OK, only in Canary Yellow. Fair enough. Right, uh, Nathan Lyon. Uh, the GOAT, they call him in Australia. Reckons Australia sweep the ashes. Um, I suppose you're just getting into a few uh, heads over there, a few English heads and provoking some headlines. But um, uh, I've seen an England squad named, which does not include uh, Joffre Archer. It doesn't include Ben Folkes either. Um, I've, I assume it. I'm reading the right stuff. Johnny Besto is the wicketkeeper. What have you made of that, Daniel? Well, well firstly, disappointment that we won't get to see Joffre Archer um, go toe-to-toe uh, with uh, the Australians uh, it only even looked like Smithy coming back from that injury that he might only be available from test for test 2, test 3 but he's had a reoccurrence of that uh, elbow injury it's a stress fracture in the elbow so huge concern for his uh, long term uh, health I would guess with back and elbow issues over the last um, couple of years I know he's had a fleeting return to international cricket back in March and the one day is in T20s but this kid's only played 13 test matches and I'd hate to think of it We'll never see him again in white because uh, he's just a pure excitement machine. Ben Folks, I, I think, was one of the wisdom cricketers of the year and, and sort of overlooked in that English side. Um, and h- him um, to be cut is harsh, but the guy they're bringing back, Johnny Bairstow, they couldn't leave him out. The guy was just incredible. Look what he did against New Zealand in that test series last year. Um they are very well stocked there. It's a luxury, uh, that one, but a, a real disappointment that uh, Joffre Arch is there 
And uh, good on um, Nathan Lyon uh, for sticking his neck out, um, but actually being a little bit more classy. Remember, I, I do believe before one Ashes series, he said they wanted to end some careers. Uh, I'm glad he's just sticking to uh, picking 5-0, as every Australian cricketer must do by, by law in Australia, it does seem. Ben String, it uh, wasn't that long ago that uh, Matt Paris, who's the CEO of... Sorry, not uh, Jason Paris, who's the CEO of... Uh, one New Zealand got himself uh, in Stuck. Uh, a week later, uh, we find that uh, the same referee and the same guy in charge of the bunker have been dumped by uh, the NRL themselves. Wow, what do you make of that? Uh, there's definitely a sense of irony there, isn't there? Uh, I, you know, referees can make mistakes, and uh, and and New Zealand fans have have every right to feel like they've they've been on the wrong side of them. I think part of that is that, unfortunately, the Warriors have been a losing team over a, a fairly long period of time, and I do believe that winning sides seem to make their own luck. It doesn't matter what sport it is. But when referees make mistakes, as had happened in that game, and it was completely obvious, uh, I think that the, the governing body has to make changes, and this is an admission that perhaps in in at least those circumstances in that game, Jason Paris was correct, and 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 it is good that the NRL have made this move. I think it would be good if there was a little more transparency around that when things happen. Uh, but but a good move by the NRL, and hopefully um, th- this referee does come back and uh, and improves. They can learn from these mistakes and become better referees. Ben String and uh, Dan McCarty have been with us on the panel this morning. Uh, gents, uh, thank you very much for your time and your opinions and uh, enjoy uh, the rest of the week. And let's uh, hope there's some better news coming out of uh, Wellington, uh, your beloved, um, throughout this investigation today. But uh, I doubt it. It's 10.42 here on SCNZ. Culture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. We really only have one panellist when it comes to uh, this segment, and it is Louis Herman Watt. Carl, you uh, texted and said, what was the horse Sam tipped out for today? Uh, the horse is French Rose, actually. Um, Sam Burgesson said uh, he really liked its first run, and uh, it's been a while since it's been on the synthetic, but he liked it uh, at around about seven or eight bucks. Well, folks, it's $4.80 at the moment on the New Zealand tote, so there you go. Uh, right, uh, Louis Herman, what? Let's uh, get across uh, to uh, you and uh, see what you think about today. Ah, oh, well, I'm absolutely sickened with myself that I've sat here and missed out on the six dollars. You've obviously had a bet, Smithy, with your massive salary and um, yep. cr- crumbled the odds in for the rest of us. So thanks for that. Four dollars eighty, a dollar eighty-five. It's still each way all day when you get that sort of information. Um, I actually thought there was a couple you could have a bet on today, and I, I think I always say this to you, I'm very hesitant on the uh, synthetics, not because I don't think we should just re- responsibly have a bet and have fun with it, I just personally seem to always be on the wrong side of them, um, but I think there's a couple that are pretty bulletproof today, one, it's short enough, so I'm going to cop a lot of heat for tipping out a $2 shot, but there's a very, very speedy filly called West. Wood in race number eight, and 
The reason I'm comfortable tipping her at two dollars, and hopefully you might cop a drift and she might get out closer to two fifty, um, is that she's got huge gate speed. Barrier two on these synthetics. I expect her in a nineteen seventy nine hundred seventy meter race to be able to bounce, get the lead, and be too quick for them just to scamper away for Craig Grills. I mean, it's a good combination, is it? Grillsy, Andrew Forsman. She's been racing in really strong races compared to a 65 on a Wednesday at Cambridge. So, should get the job done, I'm pretty confident. And then, I actually think there's a, a pretty nice horse turning up today that's very well travelled, and you've got a little bit of a drift here, because in the race, race six, there's a horse called Heart of Gold, which is very much a track specialist. Gets the 4kg claimer of Tristan Moodley, and they are very impressed with how Tristan started his career here in New Zealand. Um, Weatherly's horses do tend to go all right on the synthetic, and as I say, all his wins Heart of Gold have been on the synthetic, but I don't necessarily think he's as good as a horse as Whiskey Neat for Michael McNabb and Tony Pike, who is a fast horse, can bounce and get up on the speed, and all of Whiskey Neat's best runs have come on good tracks. So hoping that can translate. Never actually raced on the Cambridge Synthetic. I just don't have the information whether he's trialled up on him. Um, Pikey's home tracks are very possible. And I know they've come for Aoid as well. For Kylie Fawcett, uh, second up today, really impressive first up win again, lightweight. And Pisco Sour, seven fifty to nine dollars. I'm willing to risk with Mark Walker and Warren Kennedy t- teaming up. So I'm all about Whiskey Neat at three dollars eighty, race six, and Westwood in race eight, number three. Good on you. Okay, uh, thanks very much um, for uh, that information, Louis. Incidentally, uh, good news from. Uh, or a good move, I think, from the VRC, Victoria Racing Club, is that they're naming the trophy for the new market um, after Dean Holland, uh, who recently passed, of course, in a riding awesome. accident. So, yeah, a nice, uh, nice gesture. That'll be the Dean Holland Memorial Trophy uh, associated with uh, the new market, one of those uh, big Group 1 races uh, over there in Australia. Sad news there. Uh, 10.51, uh, and uh, we'll be back with uh, Paul Mawati out of the TAB. He'll be all over the NBA today. He'll have odds to burn. SCNZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Call anytime. 0800 150 811. Today, including uh, Pip Morris. Welcome uh, into the show. Uh, the NBA today. Now, uh, Ball Arena in uh, Denver, uh, Colorado will be uh, chocker as we speak. 21,000 people crammed in for game one. Uh, between the Nuggets and the Lakers, and uh, you framed up the Nuggets are very, very healthy favourites. Oh, we certainly have, and there has been a couple of bets on them too. Smithy, good morning to you. There's been two thousand put on them at that head-to-head quote at a dollar forty-four. I can tell you though, the Lakers head-to-head once put a thousand on them at two dollars and eighty-five cents. It's been $600 put on Real Madrid to head to head at $5. Uh, the Lakers, we've got another $1,000 bet put on them again at the 285 And also one of the popular power plays there, I can tell you, is Nikola Joshik and LeBron James to combine for 55 or more points, 22 more rebounds or 16 more assists at $5. 
and 350 has been really popular there. And 1.2 thousand put on the Lakers Nuggets total point over 222 50 Smithy at a dollar 87. You mentioned the racing today. Uh, Cambridge, I can tell you the best back there for the thoroughbreds is Ping Wang Lucky, race number nine, the three. So anyone looking for a best bet, that's the most popular back there in the thoroughbreds. Okay, and uh, of course tomorrow, uh, Pip, um, there'll be some uh, money floating in, I would imagine, too, on the PGA. I noticed uh, the tee-off times this morning that Stephen Elker is off in the very first group off uh, tee number one, uh, and also uh, Ryan Fox is uh, just uh, half an hour later. So early start for the Kiwis, but not uh, really rated in uh, the odds at all. It's, uh, what, John Rum, Scotty Scheffler still? Yeah, it's still completely them at the moment. We've had a little bit of speaking on Ryan Fox. I think that's just the uh, Kiwis getting behind. But the two that you mentioned, Smithy, are the, certainly the best backs in that outright winner market as well. Okay, Pip, uh, have a terrific day. Uh, enjoy um, the Palmerston North Greyhounds. Yes, uh, 12 races there, the first, uh, in just over an hour's time. Uh, we have uh, an interesting next hour coming up because it's hit the fans somewhat in the America's Cup. We kind of jinxed it, really. We got, oh, I did, really, I, I suppose, by saying uh, there's been no controversy. There's been absolutely no word of it. I mean, it's out of sight, out of mind, but certainly when Grant Dalton or Team New Zealand speak, it creates a headline. Well, um, it isn't quite them speaking this time round, but it's a very influential syndicate in the race. We're going to hear more about that from uh, Tom Amon, who's the Sailing Illustrated editor. Racing off the Saudi coast. Might not happen if you want to fly the American flag, it seems. We shall see. It's uh, coming up to 11 o'clock here on SENZ. Araha with the news and uh, Louie and I. And Tom with a bit of sailing to follow that. Also, Andy Thompson before midday. Second versus third tomorrow night. Catch live NRL commentary when the Broncos go up against the Panthers from 9pm on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.03 New Zealand time and uh, we thought there would be some controversy at some stage around uh, the America's Cup and it's, uh, it's happened, um, particularly concerning the preliminary regattas and it comes in the form of American Magic declaring they will not be sailing in the preliminary regatta due to take place in uh, Saudi Arabia at the end of this year due to safety concerns and uh, backed by the New York Yacht Club, uh, American Magic have uh, applied to the Cups arbitration panel for exemption from sailing at the regatta in Jeddah. Uh, that's from November 30th to December 3rd. Cup rules require all teams to sail at all events in the lead-up to Barcelona 2024. Uh, this isn't good news to Grant Dalton and event organisers, according to the Americans, so uh, with Commodore Paul Sabatakis uh, stating objections to the race in Jeddah were uh, repeatedly conveyed. A regatta with the title America's Cup taking place off the waters of Jeddah has certainly risk for all competitors. However, these risks are unacceptable in terms of uh, their extent for a team named American Magic, registered and flying a US flag-themed mainsail. I am not prepared to violate my oath and place our team in harm's way. Wow, pretty strong words there. Uh, joining us now, Tom Eman. Tom is uh, the Sailing Illustrated founder and editor 
uh, an international sailing and America's Cup veteran in his own right. Tom, uh, good morning to you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. When did you first hear about uh, this unrest and uh, in terms of Jeddah? Hey, Smithy. Good afternoon from San Francisco. I heard about this a couple of weeks ago and have been reporting on, on my Sailing Illustrated webcast. And then, I, of course, it became official uh, news reports in New Zealand in the last couple of days. But it's a, it's a serious matter, and it's time for the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron, who are the Defender Trustee, it's time for them to get control of their team. Because the first mistake, Smithy, was, was letting the event leave New Zealand. The cup belongs in New Zealand, should be in New Zealand. And that was the first mistake of the squadron letting Mr. Dalton take it to Europe. Now this this next mistake, and it's just follow the money. It's a huge mistake, and it's going to cause big problems for the squadron, for Team New Zealand, for the event, for the sport. What can happen here? Who's going to force whose hand? Well, I think it's the New York Yacht Club. And by the way, you mentioned Dr. Paul Zabatakis, who's the Commodore. And I don't know him well, but I've had him on my show and he's a very calm, reasonable guy. This is not somebody who's prone to jumping up and down, sort of like your Jim Farmer, who, who I know well has been on my show and, and is a very respected now KC, of course, in, in New Zealand, who likewise is expressing the grave concern about having an American team, forcing an American team to go to Saudi Arabia. And the arbitration panel, one hears, I hear authoritatively, not from them, by the way, although I know them all, and, and I'm, but I'm not in touch with them over this matter. And they are going to find a way out of this. I'm confident there are three bright guys, including Graham McKenzie, who's a Kiwi. They will find a way out of this and bring some sense, some, some kind of compromise so that the American team doesn't have to go and does not get penalized for not going. So, Tom, just uh, from uh, our point of view over here, what are the dangers you perceive? Are they dangers to human life as such or dangers to reputation? How do you, how do you perceive all this? Well, the danger to the reputation is to, to Emirates Team New Zealand, Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron, and the, and the Kiwis, the country. That's already been put in play. Why do you go do this and risk your reputation, your name, good name? In, in by running a regatta in a country, they first of all they don't have to run it there, except that, that there's six million euros on offer, more than any other place offered to, to run the regatta. So that's the damage to the reputation. The risk is it's a real risk to the team that calls themselves New York Yacht Club, calls themselves American Magic, indeed the name of the yacht, AC40 the type of yacht that will be raced over there. The New York Yacht Club have named that boat America. And you know that 17 of the 19 9-11 hijackers were Saudis. The, the big cheese that, that, uh, that came up with it and ran it was a Saudi. And it's, it's a real risk. People say, well, yeah, but they run horse racing. Well, you can control the, the horse, the, the grounds that the horse racing's on. And they say, well, Formula One, you got a circuit there. Well, you can control access to the circuit. You can control access to a soccer pitch. You can control access to a golf course, but famously, you can't control access out on the high seas when you're running a regatta off the coast. And, you know, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is not known for their huge navy. So I, I think this is a real risk. Okay, so uh, at this point, who's going to give in here? Do you, do you think? Uh, do you think, I mean, we know Grant Dalton down here. We've known him for 
decades as a fairly hard-nosed, uh, stubborn, I think at times, sort of a bloke. Um, do you think there's any given Grant Dalton here? I've known Daltz for a long time, and he is stubborn, and he's very smart, and he is smart enough to realize that this is not going it's, it's not going to play out well. So he is going to agree, I, in my opinion, to some kind of a compromise. The ARB panel, my guess is the arbitration panel will exempt, will give, uh, give a, an exception for New York Yacht Club having to attend. And they will not be penalized. In fact, it's not even a penalty. They will just probably have to pay their regatta fees. That's my guess. But then they won't be penalized otherwise with a, a removal of points going forward. Right, okay, so uh, to your understanding, American Magic will at this stage definitely be on the start line for the first prelim regatta from 14th, 17th September coming up? Correct. That regatta's in Spain, no problem. They will be there. They're headed, in fact, they've just ended their camp in, in Pensacola, Florida, and as Team New Zealand are headed to Barcelona, so too are the other teams, including American Magic, New York Yacht Club's American Magic. They will all be at that regatta in Villanova, uh, on the coast of Spain, just down the coast from Barcelona. But I can assure you that New York Yacht Club, and uh, they are they are not going to go to Jeddah, to Saudi Arabia, for that next event. Uh, Tom, uh, this is interesting, and uh, we appreciate your thoughts on it, and uh, that it should never have left New Zealand waters. And, um, you know, a lot of New Zealanders will echo that without doubt. What about the feeling uh, amongst the other syndicates? Are they... Would they have preferred to come down here, to be honest? I mean, it's a long way. It's, uh, there's an expense thing in there. What, what's the feeling? Well, it, there's a follow the money. I think the European teams are happy it's in Europe. It's not only closer to them, but I think they think. In fact, you mentioned in, the, in one of the, the segments leading up to this, Jim Ratcliffe, who owns Ineos, uh, was it a soccer story you were telling? He also owns Ineos Britannia, the, the America's Cup team. And I'm sure they're happy to be in Spain. He may even be happy as an oil guy. He may even be happy to be going to Saudi Arabia. But that's beside the point. It's the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron who are the defender trustee. And they have been weak, and in fact, so weak that they're losing members left, right, and center. They've had a big decrease in membership, sponsors, and so on. And they have a big fiscal problem by their own admission. And this is only going to get worse by them allowing this event in New Zealand to go to, to Saudi Arabia, which is a country. None of our countries is perfect, least of all ours. But we are way ahead. New Zealand, Australia, the Brits, us, and most of the Western, all of the Western European countries are way ahead of the human, human rights issues that are going on and continue to go on in Saudi Arabia. In terms of the technology, um, what are you hearing about the progress of the AC-40 um, as the style of boat for this regatta coming up? Well, the AC-40s are a one-design small version. It's a it's almost half-sized version of the big boats that will be used in the actually in the America's Cup. I think this was a smart move by Grant Dalton and ETNZ to come up with these boats as training boats. There's only four crew. They're inexpensive to run, and it's in these boats that they will also run the women's and youth America's Cup events that are preliminary to the big the big show in Barcelona next October. 
And I think that's a great move. And the teams using those in the preliminary regattas is also a good move. The bad move was taking the event out of New Zealand in the first place. An even worse move is letting it go to this, this preliminary regatta, running it in Jeddah. How much does the American market uh, care about the sale GP, just as a side note, uh, which has just concluded? Uh, I think increasingly so. I'm, I, was not, I was not confident that Larry Ellison, uh, who's funding it, and Russell Coots, uh, both longtime by now friends, uh, and I worked for them in the cup. I was not confident that was going to take off, but I think it has. The regatta down in Wellington was terrific. And the, what, the regatta just concluded here in San Francisco, likewise. So I think they're on to something. And by the way, if, if, Coots, if Cootsie was running this regatta or the late great Peter Blake was running this regatta, A, it would have never left New Zealand, and B, they wouldn't be running a preliminary regatta in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we've talked about the, uh, the New Yorker syndicate, a little bit about uh, ETNZ, Emirates Team New Zealand. Uh, what other syndicates are well on the way towards this? Uh, have you heard any, um, any rumor about the progress of uh, other syndicates who could be genuine contenders, I say? Oh, I, I think, believe it or not, I, and I'm one of the few that think this, I think that the Swiss, Olingi, remember, they're the ones who won the cup on the first attempt down there in Auckland in 2007, a brilliant performance. Russell Kutzen had, what some of you would say, defected along with his tight five from what was then Team New Zealand to Olingi, the Swiss team, and then they won in 07, beating us. I was with Oracle at the time. And I think their new program that Ernesto Bertarelli is putting together is going to be way better than people think. And I wouldn't be surprised if they and American Magic, we'll see how the Brits are, we'll see how the uh, Italians are. Probably the Italians will be okay, probably the Brits will be okay, but my money right now is, is actually just lately on American Magic. The French team doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell, but uh, the Kiwis will always be tough and I do think, however, that Grant Dalton and the Kiwis are going to find it much difficult, much more difficult to defend in Spain than they would have on their home waters in the Haraki Gulf. Tom Eamon, absolutely fascinating. Uh, enjoying reading your, your uh, uh, Sailing Illustrated. It's just fantastic. Um, and uh, we knew there'd be some controversy at some point. I mean, it's just symptomatic with the America's Cup and uh, Grant Dalton himself. So... Thanks for filling us in on that. We look forward to progress on uh, how this is going to pan out going forward. So much uh, appreciative of your time, Tom. Thank you. My pleasure, Ian. Anytime. Cheers. Uh, Tom Eamon there, Sailing Illustrated, founder and editor. Um, and, uh, yes, uh, the thoughts there about um, hosting it in New Zealand, echoing the thoughts of uh, the majority of New Zealanders, of course. And uh, I, I just, Louie, the way I look at it, we just sort of lost track with this event, which, uh, and it takes a headline like this to get it back to us. Which is probably not a bad thing as far as if it just goes quietly, because it means that everybody's just ticking away. There's been no massive controversies, and 
you know, all the teams are right with funding and they're on their way to the actual sailing, which is what I personally enjoy the most. I know for a fact that Team New Zealand have been absolutely loving their time out in the Hauraki Gulf, testing their new AC-75, and they've been putting it through some really big windy conditions which they think that they might replicate in uh, Barcelona. So the actual on-water aspect of it's been going really well, and I imagine it has for the other teams as well because you haven't heard anything otherwise. So no news is almost good news. But the biggest question I've got, Smithy, is if Tom is right and Grant Dalton and the event officials grant dispensation here for American Magic because their boat's name's America and they've got the American flag, but in the letter that was put forward by American Magic, they actually also raised concerns about having an event called or tied to the America's Cup in Saudi. So if an exemption is given, isn't that a concession that yes there are safety concerns so does that raise questions about how much you can then forge forward with the other teams in Saudi I mean it's almost like one or the other or is there is there grey area here there's no grey area there's a, a very plain and simple area Louis as we head to the break it's the figure that he quoted Tom Eamon quoted 6 million euro 6 million euro say no more say no more It'll happen, I reckon, with or without American Magic because uh, Grant Dalton doesn't lose too many of those type battles. 11-18. CNZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Call anytime. 0800 150 811. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Right, it is 11.23, we'll get to the sports text uh, very shortly. Um, on the way there we can uh, read out that uh, Aparahama believes that Wyatt Crockett could be considered for uh, the uh, greatest super rugby player of all time. Appearances, um, a cracking name, uh, but he was a walking penalty. Uh, apart from that, but he is a part of a lot of titles, so there you go. And Mark says, come on Louis, not everyone can afford to put heaps on like mm-hmm. you. How about tipping something, paying... Uh, a bit double figures would be good. That's uh, Mark. Yeah, Mark is, uh, well, Mark is consistent. How about we put it like that? Mark is always asking for more, and he's begging me to be better. And Mark, I don't mind that, but um, that's all I've got today. I'm not going to tip something I don't want to tip, so that's just how it works, mate. Uh, the sports test, Smithy, we've talked a, bit about a wee bit about referees um, with the Warriors pal being dropped. What about, remember, remember our old friend... Matthew Reynal. I do remember Matthew Reynal. The Lions? Is that the Lions? Well, I think that's Jerome Garcia. I, know, yeah, I, think, I think Matthew Reynal is uh, uh, Potter. Uh, no, no, uh, Foley. Foley. Yeah, yes. Bernard Foley <laughs> yes, in front of the post. That's, that's right. Yes. yes. He also had the whistle when we drew with England at the end of the year. And he's been given the whistle, appointed to take charge of the All Blacks Rugby Championship clash against the Springboks at Go Media Stadium, Mount Smart, on July 15th. So, look, 
I don't know what that means or if we care. Personally, I don't really, but I know people will. So um, Matthew Raynal, who is a young fella, and he wasn't afraid to use the whistle <laughs> towards the end of last year. We'll see if he's had any professional development over the summer or his winter and, and come back in um, you know, a different frame of mind. So that that's a little bit of refereeing news, and I, I knew you'd appreciate this. Um because obviously you thought that was such a great question raised by Sam, given the uh, hot take pundit. I put a poll out asking if Richie Mwanga was, in fact, the greatest Super Rugby player of all time, and it's been pretty decisively no, um, it's fair to say. In the SENZ app where you click to listen to Mornings with Ian Smith, you could have clicked and answered that question, and actually 92% people said no, of people said no there. On Twitter it was more like 70-30, but it definitely sounds like he, to the masses, is not the greatest Super Rugby player of all time. Okay, so who is in your regard? Well, it's a, it's a pretty interesting. Like, it's a very vexed question, as, as um, Daniel McCarty said. I thought the point that he raised that it's always going to be skewed towards first fives was really, really good one. Like quarterbacks, you don't really see... I mean, how hard would it be to win an NFL MVP if you weren't a quarterback, what do you have to do? And same with the Super Bowl MVP. Like, how dominant would a defensive player have to be for a quarterback not to win that uh, Super Bowl MVP um, award? And I think because of that, look, I've got no doubt that Dan Carter probably is one of the one or two greatest rugby players to play rugby. But I understand the point in the call for Richie Mwanga because he's the most... Well, he's won the most as a first five, and he's been the most important player on that team in ways. Like, I'm not disregarding Sam Whitelock or Scott Barrett or Cody Taylor or any of those Fords or Kieran, Reed's, but Kieran Reed. But, yeah, I'd, I'd happily click yes on Richie Moore in that poll. Anyway. Okay, okay cool. Uh, just looking at the list of uh, Rugby World Cup referees, uh, Matthew Renal is on there, of course, for France. In fact, he's the only one on there for France, which I find quite surprising. Uh, their home World Cup and the IRB have uh, given them just, or World Rugby have just given them one. Uh, Nika Amashukeli, uh, who's uh, refereed a game down here from Georgia, did a pretty good job as well. Wayne Barnes, of course, who was uh, our enemy, uh, and now I think he's back to being um, highly respected as uh, perhaps the best in the world. Uh, Nick Berry from Australia, Andrew Brace from Ireland, Matthew Carley from England, Carl Dixon from England, Luke Pearce from England. Get in there, England. You've uh, obviously <laughs> got the great, greatest referees of all time. Angus Gardner from Australia, good bloke. Absolutely. Ben O'Keefe from New Zealand, Paul Williams from New Zealand, uh, Yako Paper from South Africa, other New Zealanders involved, assistant referee James Dolman, um, and television match officials Brendan Pickerel from New Zealand. And uh, history, of course, uh, with uh, Joy Neville from Ireland being the first uh, woman to officiate in a men's rugby world cup uh, so they are uh, the people involved there um nba lottery india draft lottery today whoever gets number one will most likely land the best prospect since lebron uh that's uh, interesting that's uh it's true victor wimbanyama victor wimbanyana uh that's yes. come from brad yes smithy could you t- take a stab at where which uh, nationality victor is um, I was gonna. Well, I mean, you know, I was I was gonna say he's out of um, Nigeria or somewhere of that nature. Well, he might have that African descent of something like that, but he's French. He's been playing in France. He's been dominating okay. French leagues for a long period of time, and that's at midday. And it's it's a really good point. Like they've been, you know, calling it things like wobbling for Wemby. 
Um, you know, I've been tank teams have been tanking furiously towards the end of the NBA season to try and snag this guy. He's about seven foot four, shoots threes, and is athletic. So pretty much Stephen wow. Donald. Pretty much Stephen do. <laughs> Stephen Donald. Goodness me. Louis, have you been drinking? It's coming up to 11.30 here on SCNZ. Stephen Donald uh, coming up here at 11.30 here on SCNZ, which means time for you to uh, dial us up. 0800-150-811. 0800-150-811 is the phone number. Uh, 50 bucks uh, up for grabs uh, today, I think. Um, yes, Stump Smithy again today. We might change it to Stump Louie tomorrow. This show's going on the road tomorrow, folks, by the way. We're going to the St Andrews of Hamilton Golf Course. Um, and we'll be 9 to 12 out of uh, the clubhouse there. Uh, that is because there is uh, a golf event there being staged by uh, Messrs Andrew Castles and Ross Taylor, organising uh, heavily into the organising of this uh, to raise funds for Cyclone Relief in Hawke's Bay. So uh, we thought it uh, very apt that uh, we should take the show from Hawke's Bay uh, to the Waikato. So I'll be there. Uh, Louis will be uh, operating out of Christchurch, Brian out of uh, Auckland. So it'll all sound the same. It's just that um, I've got the prospect of a bigger night out than you guys. It's as simple as that. It's 11.30. It's 11.30 here on SENZ. Uh, time for some news with Araha. 1476am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Second versus third tomorrow night. Catch live NRL commentary when the Broncos go up against the Panthers from 9pm on SENZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. 11.32, uh, Brian uh, Radiri is uh, on the phones uh, and uh, we've got a couple of callers there. And Louis Herman Watt is uh, Quizmaster Extraordinaire this morning. Yes, I am, Smithy. And Zach from New Plymouth. We've gone back to the New Plymouth Raceway to find Zach Attack and he is your nemesis for the morning. G'day, Zach. How you doing? Yeah, not too bad, guys. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Who's the greatest super rugby player of all time? That's not one of your questions oh. either. Yeah, Richie Wong is up there, but you can't go past DC. DC, eh? Daniel Carter. Someone's just come in and said, what about King Carlos? All number 10, see? King Carlos. Carlos Spencer, no? Mm, yeah, I mean, surely Mornay Stain probably gets a look at some stage, doesn't he? Mornay Stain? He couldn't tackle you, Louis, for God's sake. What's going on? Right, right let's get serious here. What are the questions for? Uh, what are the questions here for Zach from New Plymouth? What would you like to do, Zach? I can give you basketball, I can give you baseball, I can give you football. All of the balls. I'll go basketball. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Who was named the NBA MVP for the 2022-2023 season? Is that this, that this year? Yes, this <laughs> is right. I know, this year. Uh, Joel Embiid. Ah, oh, very good. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Did you have it covered, Smithy? No, didn't have that one covered, actually. I was going to say, Nicola Joseph, that would have been very embarrassing, wouldn't it? Oh, no, horribly. Um, all right, let's get let's go local here. 
Oh, oh wowee. Who is bottom of the ladder in the cells MBL? Zach from New Plymouth. Oh, um, let's just go Jernicky Mountaineers. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, oh. right in the slot, and away it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Zach from New Plymouth, eh? Okay, to run it straight, throw a clean bold. We're staying local. American veteran Jeremy Kendall leads the NBL, NZNBL, on points per game with 26. Which team does he play for? Um, I'll go... um, Five. Wellington State. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. God, I should get this, I should get this, I should get this. I'm figuring he's uh, playing for one of the top uh, sides in the competition, although that doesn't mean much. He could be playing for a poor side, uh, but just be the best player by a country mile. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to take a pun here and say he plays for the Canterbury Rams who are on a roll. One of the worst things I have ever seen Uh, done on a cricket field. Aye, aye, aye. It's the Southland Sharks, gents. And and again, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, is this the part of the game where Zach gets $50? Because <laughs> you were both wrong. That's correct. I mean, isn't it the most beautiful game in the world? We keep. I mean, they talk about football being the world's most beautiful game. Surely this is uh, the world's most beautiful game because uh, we're such a good bunch of blokes here and uh, women here, of course, uh, SENZ. We like to reward people for trying. Uh, And so Zach this morning tried very hard. Got a couple right. Missed the last one, but there you go. He's still going to get it, Zach. You're going to get the $50 voucher. That's what good blokes we are. Hey, nice to see uh, Yarrow Stadium back in action, eh? We're a big game. Yeah, about time. Uh, Still missing a stand, though. So we could get that back. Yeah, it was nice. Just a shame the Chiefs didn't uh, turn up uh, as well. So that was a bit of a pity there. But however... It is. Uh, I still prefer. I, I always regard uh, Taranaki as Hurricanes country. I'm sorry, Zach. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still a Cane supporter, mate. Day one. Yeah, never mind. Okay, uh, Zach from uh, New Plymouth. Brian will get to your details. Make sure you get that uh, that fitty as soon as possible, Zach. So uh, you just hang on in there, and we'll be back very shortly. We'll have a couple of texts to read out. Uh, we've got to catch up too with uh, Andy Thompson because it's Rural Roundup Day as well. Experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, a few texts uh, that have uh, come in. Um, look, uh, hey Smithy, do you think the NRL refs getting dumped had anything to do with the Warriors game the previous week? Unlikely. But as soon as the storm, the Broncos cry over spilt milk, the NRL listen and need to be seen to make a stand. Uh, massive double standard. Sam, look, yeah, uh, we always talk about this, don't we? We talk about the double standards. Um, but I would imagine the fact that it went so public um, and for people like Graham Annesley to get involved and uh, other people in the NRL to uh, really come down hard on uh, Jason Paris and his uh, ass- assertions as such, 
and uh, cause a retraction. I think it was uh, there, and uh, everyone knew it was Todd Smith, um, who, who was uh, the, the man in charge with the whistle. So obviously he was under scrutiny. They gave him that game, which was a very high-profile game as well, and uh, he got it wrong. Um, so uh, at least they done them. I wouldn't mind seeing that for rugby refs every now and then, just a, a little bit of a wrap over the knuckles as if to say, take a couple of weeks off and uh, we shall um, see how you feel about things uh, going forward. Uh, Richard says, Smithy, I'm looking forward to the Women's World Cup, but you possibly couldn't pick a worse time of the year weather-wise to have it in New Zealand. Hopefully all goes well, but a hell of a shame it wasn't in Feb March, uh, perhaps to really showcase the country. Yeah, uh, I think there's uh, some genuine validity in that, so we can all pray for some fine weather. Uh, there's a text from uh, Cupid Lawson, which I'm not going to read out. Louis sort of uh, trying to... To, to, to try to tweet more than anything uh, I, I'm not reading it out uh, but Louis might uh, he, he might just um, he might he's thinking about it, I can see it in the meantime while he makes up his mind we're going to head across to uh, Andy Thompson who's looked at that text and he's uh, and he's in the slightly older bracket like myself and we're just shaking our heads at it but um, Andy let's uh, look at uh, what's on your show today of course Rural Roundup folks it's on between 12 and 1 all frequencies uh, barring Auckland and Wellington and uh, every time uh, I look at uh, things uh, concerning uh, the rural industry, um, words uh, like debt come to play and then prices come to play as well. Uh, and there's uh, all sorts of uh, worry and concern there, Andy. Smithy, g'day, mate. Yeah, look, um, to be honest, in farming, the last three to five years have actually been pretty good. Uh, very, very good prices, uh, actually very low interest rates, relatively speaking, but Unfortunately, in the last sort of 12 to 18 months, like all of life, uh, interest rates have risen, um, in input costs have increased significantly, and then also we're starting to see um, commodity prices move back. So there's a massive squeeze going on in the rural sector at the moment, and some farmers are really, really starting to feel the pressure. And um, we're starting to hear that word, you know, overdrafts, which have sort of went out of the uh, went out of the lexicon for a wee while, um, particularly in the dairy industry, where very, very good prices. So um, there is light at the end of the tunnel, Smithy. Some commodity prices are sort of stabilising, although the uh, the GDT fell a little bit this morning. But certainly some of those input prices, like fertiliser, are starting to move back, just not as fast as farmers would want. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. On the other side of things uh, is the vegetable aspect of it and uh, getting shoppers to buy at some of these prices is uh, becoming a real issue. I mean it never used to be. I mean god it was like you could grow them in your backyard they were you know a dime a dozen but now uh, particularly in where I live around here which used to be regarded as one of the agricultural hubs of New Zealand. Prices Andy. Yeah prices. Well, that's the problem, Smithy, as you know. Like, we'll talk about Hawke's Bay, obviously, that um, large amounts of the uh, vegetable crops have been wiped out. We've seen the storm up in Northland, which wiped out all the Coomera crops. Uh, and those take a wee while to come back. It's not like a, it's not like a, 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 um, a lettuce, you know, you can grow quite quickly. But what the growers are finding, and it's really starting to concern them, there's plenty of supply back in the marketplace now. We've had enough time to grow it. 
but those prices have risen so significantly that there's consumer resistance to actually buying vegetables now and people are just going well I'm sorry but A I just can't afford it it's too expensive and they remember the prices that they were and so believe it or not vegetables are getting left unsold and these are perishable goods it's not like you can just sort of pack them away for a couple of weeks or freeze them and bring them out again so it is causing a lot of concern um, labour prices fertiliser prices all of those things go up the interesting thing about vegetables uh, Smithy is they're bought and sold on an auction so in the end it will be uh, demand that, and so vegetable prices will fall eventually I suspect as there is an, uh, more than enough supply so yeah but it's going to hurt the growers they're really going to hurt uh, those people that cook with a lot of olive oil might feel it as well because uh, the olive oil um, industry is uh, set to get much more expen- uh, expensive in terms of their product after a really poor season in the Mediterranean um, it's led to their highest global prices, I understand, in 26 years. What I didn't understand, uh, Andy, and you, you see a lot of the olive industry around this country, we only make up 10% of production for our own consumption. Yeah, we do. Um, remember a few years ago, Smithy, it used to be really fashionable to go and buy yourself a little lifestyle block and plant a few olive trees and pretend you were living in the Mediterranean. Um, obviously, we don't have enough of that, or maybe people have gone away from that and found this actually bloody hard work. But you're right, only 10%. Probably, and a lot of it, maybe it's climatic. Um, you've got to have, I think, a fairly warm sort of climate for it. Um, I know a lot of them are grown around the Nelson region, around the Mootry, Mochuaka. There's a lot of olives around there, um, maybe up in your region as well, up in Northland. But, yeah, obviously, well, I suppose it just proves how much olive oil we go through. We must go through a heck of a lot of it as a country, I guess. OK, so uh, let's look at uh, what's on uh, the show today. Andy, who have you got in particular? Well, we're going to talk about the new firearm register that is coming in in the middle of June. This is on the back of the Christchurch Massacre, one of the um, Commission's, uh, what, what do we call it, the, the Commission's report was to register firearms. It's a highly controversial, $200-odd million is being spent to set up this new register. The ACT Party are opposed to it massively. They will chuck it out. They reckon it's a complete waste of money. Uh, they think it's just going to create a list, if it's not secure, of um, a, a register, basically, for uh, gangs, if they can get hold of this, to um, to steal to order. So we're going to talk to Nicole McKee, who is the Axe Firearms spokesperson. And then we're also going to talk to Richard McIntyre, who is Federated Farmers Firearms spokesperson, and get his take on it as well, just to get a little bit of a, a sense of, of where this is going to go. But, um, mate, I think it's a done deal. I think we're going to have a register. I've actually thought long and hard about this myself. Um, my knee-jerk reaction initially was to go, nah, stuff it. You know, this is just typical compliance. But the more more I've thought about it, you know, the more I think maybe it's something that we do need. Um, be interested in listeners' thoughts on that. But quite frankly, we register everything else, Smithy. We register your car, register everything. I don't know why we don't register guns. So, you know, it's it's we'll, we'll have a good yarn about it. Um, the other thing is the, um, the New Zealand Dairy Industry Awards were held in uh, Auckland over the weekend. I would love to have gone, but um, couldn't quite get the company to spin for a trip to Auckland just for one, uh, one, uh, one night. Uh, but we're going to talk to Hayden and Bridget Goble, who were the um, New Zealand Dairy Industry Share Farmer Awards. We'll do a bit of weather winners. They were the weather, uh, winners from Taranaki. And then we'll do some weather with Phil Duncan. And we'll have our Rural Hero of the Week, one of the most popular segments of the show. So that's what we got, mate. Okay, Andy, uh, we'll give you uh, about nine and a half minutes to get set for it, folks. That's the, the Rural Roundup. Uh, you can hear that um, on all frequencies um, around the country except for um, Auckland and Wellington. 
Um, in the meantime, of course, uh, those listeners will be staying with Mark Stafford, and we shall hear what uh, Staff has uh, in line for us. Uh, I guess there's a little bit of running it straight this afternoon, being Wednesday afternoon, so Staff will just have the three hours today, and then uh, Sammy Hewitt, perhaps, um, and Kempy as well. Tony Kemp will take over from three o'clock. Uh, we'll just confirm that very shortly. ECNZ, it's Kiwi for Sport. Keep up to date on Twitter and Instagram at ECNZ underscore radio.